Welcome to Savage Minds. Today's guest is Paul Kings North, an English writer living in Ireland. He's the author of nine books of fiction, essays, and poetry, and co-founder of the Dark Mountain Project. His writing at the moment is his The Abbey of Misrule, a two-year essay project currently drawing to a close, which tries to analyze the modern technological world, what he calls the machine, in order to find out how we got to this point of radical disconnection from nature and self. I welcome Paul Kingsnorth to Savage Minds. I only discovered you last year when it was sent to me your piece entitled The Abolition of Man and Woman, Gender, mm. Sex and the Machine. Such a beautiful piece that came out last July, wherein you note the incredible rise of gender ideology within Ireland, where you reside, and you write, those currents reveal that the transgender movement is not just about gender. In some ways, in fact, gender is not even the main attraction in the circus. Rather, it is the catalyst for wider changes that are engulfing us. Those changes represent a breakdown in our shared understanding of what it means to be human, the logic of which has barely begun to play out. The question is, where does it lead? <gasps> I love that. Mm. And your piece addresses, in fact, the crux of what you and I had agreed to discuss today, which I thought was a great shift because truly left, right, mm, tomato, tomato, in a way. Mm. I think these days, yes. <laughs> well, I think to discuss, in fact, this break of the postmodern versus the classical tradition, which is really at a head today, crazily enough. I always joke on social media that Galileo is somewhere in the heavens laughing at us. And this bifurcation, a crazy bifurcation of those who believe in objective truth versus those who believe that it's all a social construct from society to the body to science itself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been writing for, well, I've been writing my life about this, I suppose, but in the last couple of years I've been writing really consciously about what I've come to call the machine um, which is not my phrase it's a phrase I've stolen from better writers than myself it's a phrase that people like D.H. Uh, Lawrence and R.S. Thomas and George Orwell and a number of others have been using for at least 100 years to refer to this technologically mediated society that's been growing around us since at least the industrial revolution um, and I think that this is the crux of the matter. And when I wrote about gender and the, and the kind of the transgender movement, which has just risen so quickly to envelop everything, um, what's really astounded me about transgenderism is, has been the rapidity of that rise and the rapidity with which every institution in Western culture has just accepted the claims that are being made, which are very radical claims. I mean, often... That the transgender activists like to compare what's going on to say the civil rights movement or anti-racism or even the liberation of 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 gay people but it isn't like that it's a very different thing it, it's often presented as simply the liberation of a, of a minority that's been oppressed for a long time but it's it, it to my mind anyway that's not what's going on what's going on is a is a radical claim about the nature of the human body and potentially the human soul and biology and anthropology and the ability to effectively bust through limits of all kinds and to change something that's really fundamental. I mean, to change sex, to say that you are the opposite sex and to 
therefore be accepted into the world of that sex. And we've obviously we've seen a big resistance to this from many feminists who are particularly concerned about you know women's spaces basically being stolen or womanhood effectively being abolished, which I think is a thing that's happening to some degree. But it's bigger than that. It's not just an issue for women. It's a it's a much bigger systematic belief, as you said, in effectively the ability to remake ourselves. And when I when I look at this, I'm I'm still digging into this and I wouldn't claim to have kind of worked it all out, but there's something really, really fundamental going on with modernity at this point in the 21st century where we're starting to claim now that nature itself is up for grabs any limit that exists within nature as a form of oppression any uh, you know and that includes the limit of being a male or being a female um as well as the limits of nature themselves and and what that essay that you wrote about was really talking about was the the, the kind of the spectrum that transgenderism exists on because i don't think it can be seen on its own and I think it's on the spectrum that leads fundamentally to transhumanism. And there are people who have specifically said this who are involved in both movements. And we're looking at a point now, if you look at, for example, just the last few months, all the chatter about the rise of artificial intelligence and what that means. It's all part of the same challenge to biology, challenge to nature, challenge to objective truth um, that, uh, that sees modern humanity effectively, effectively in a godlike way. You know, we're going to create a new kind of human we're going to become post-human we're going to become genderless we're going to live forever we're going to upload our minds to the cloud whatever it is it's all part of the same spectrum of the modern or the postmodern claim that we can effectively become gods that's how it seems to me and and that's we're using technology to bust through any sense that we are embodied beings and any form of embodiment on nature now is now seen as a form of oppression and uh, therefore to defend it makes you an oppressor. And that's that's certainly what you're seeing with people who criticize what's happening with transgenderism. The left and the right, as you said yourself, are pretty irrelevant now as dividing, as, as dividing terms. If there is a division, it's increasingly between those who believe in embodiment and nature and those who believe that embodiment and nature are limits that oppress us, which should be broken through with the use of technology. So that is, I think, where we've come to. I completely agree. In fact, I've been thinking about this, I think, like you, as I write in between articles, I'm constantly thinking, where did it all start? <laughs> because I have moments of, mm. even in my criticism of what's going on with the media, which is a huge chunk of this issue as well, because media is representing, allegedly, reality to people who read it. But it's turned into a football camp of sorts, especially in countries like the United States, where people are very happy to only intake MSNBC, which has about as much truth as my Ouija board. I have really taken to being shocked regularly when I read major media representations of things that are completely non-factual to include and Glenn Greenwald's gone over this recently, uh, the last two weeks, he spent a lot of time dedicated to this, and I'm working on a piece currently about the disinformation industry. The disinformation industry was this kind of mandate within the Biden administration and before, but the Biden administration tried to appoint this kind of Ubermeister uh, of truth. And the irony is that now what is passed for fake news is simply the person that has the power to declare it. So it's quite Orwellian. 
and we're in this world where the truth is just whoever has the power to claim it to be so and it's been so politicized and this falls into the issue of of the gender industry the gender lobby what you wrote about in your article with martin and martine rothblatt i went into this 10 11 years ago Oh my gosh, 11, I was pregnant with my daughter in a cafe, in a bar, actually in Soho. And this woman was telling me about the transgender movement. And I just thought she was crazy. I just thought, no, this can't be happening, you know. Mm. And more I investigated and started to write my first piece on this. And it took me six months because I had to sort of go back and figure out why did no one speak back to what happened to Julie Birchall and Suzanne Moore in January of 2013 when they were attacked and Birchall's piece was pulled, in fact. And in interviewing Birchall, she made it very clear to me that they had commissioned her. They knew exactly what she was going to write. And it was sort of a theater. They pulled it because the theater went too far for them. They couldn't handle the backlash. Well, who would ever have thought, myself included, that I would find myself having to fight for same-sex spaces? And I say this because I was one of those women who always thought that sexism, of course, existed, but I was never one of those women who thought to go to a single sex space because I was only comfortable there. There are women who feel that way. Now I've shifted towards seeing in a way it's like if you tell me I can't do something, I want to do it more because simply being told by men in frocks who say I'm a lesbian and if you will not have sex with me, you are transphobic as a lesbian, that offends me, right? I recognize, uh, as the feminists like to say, bollocksology when I see it. So how did we get to this crazy space where on the one hand, you had for the best, better part of a decade now, Twitter, especially when Jack was in charge of it, kicking off feminists like Megan Murphy, many others, by the way, who said men cannot be women, a simple biological fact, like Galileo, right? Mm. Sex is immutable, but they lost their accounts. There are women who still are not on Twitter because of being no platform there. Facebook, to a lesser degree, but still that happened. You would be banned for 30 days or 24 hours and lose your account eventually for saying that people cannot change sex. Yet this lobby peddles in Nemo. They, well, if clownfish can change sex, I mean, it's, it's completely that shit crazy you know it is, like it is crazy. how did we get to talking about nemo so we've got disney in this one corner i mean so here we are in 2023 where that ship of crazy seems to be turning around in the uk specifically i know in ireland it's quite bad still and the penetration of this lobby within public bodies private companies public institutions where they're able to get policies made all on nonsense in fact when i launched savage minds in 2021 one of the first articles was a piece that i wrote about how the bbc and the nhs were wiping its servers of its previous support unfettered support for mermaids because at that time it was coming out that mermaids was doing unethical things, mm. <laughs> promoting nonsense ideas. And they're able to wipe their servers. There should be laws about this too, by the way, but they're able to wipe the servers clean so that they can say, oh, we were never on board. While both organizations were promoting that NGO 
and they were promoting a lot of the crazy ideas behind it. And so I agree with you that this is, I've always said that transgender ideology is that clown sidecar that they pull out as they're changing the trapeze and the nets to get out for the next act, maybe the lions and so forth. But they use this clown car of transgenderism to perfectly distract the public from, mm, let's say, poverty, housing, unemployment. It's the perfect recipe for neoliberalism, right? You don't have to create jobs or housing. You can just offer name tags that have your pronouns on them. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, by the way, thank you for teaching me a new word, bollocksology. I'd never heard that one before. That's a, <laughs> not that's mine. A, good one. a feminist. Well, it's a good one. Thank you. I, uh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not up on feminist discourse, but that's a good one. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use it somewhere. Um, yeah. So I think there's. I think there's a truth to that. Um, definitely. But I also think there's something. There's something really. It's fun. It's more fundamental than simply using it to sort of disguise. Um, you know, avoid doing things about inequality and stuff i think it's there's a true believer aspect to it and one of the things you just talked about is, is something that's sat on my mind for a long time and it's just the it's the rate and the scale of the institutional capture and that's really really interested me and it's not just a, an issue with transgenderism it's an issue with all of the uh the kind of the talking points of say the postmodern left it's happened with race as well you know racism white supremacy all of these kind of notions which have come flooding into Europe, particularly, and people are starting to, you know, capitalize the word black and talk about people of color and all the rest of it. And, and there's a particular language being used to treat, uh, to divide people according to racial groups um, and to set them up against each other. Uh, and that as well has completely captured the institutions. It's come, it's a very American notion and it's come straight into Europe, even though Europe's very different to America and it started to, to sort of take root here and it's fascinated me how the institutions have just caved to what is a fundamentally very radical postmodern leftist narrative about race or gender or uh, these particular identity issues um and you know you mentioned the nhs it's a good example the nhs is still referring to to, to people with cervixes and birthing people and, and you know eliminating the word mother from its from its documents um I mean, the the, the attempted abolition of the word mother is particularly disgusting to me, um, and it's 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 an it's this kind of war against the human body and against human relationships and against felt biological and cultural realities like motherhood, fatherhood, childhood, family, um, and I think there is a there there is a very distinctive and clear agenda to effectively abolish the family as a unit. Um, which is seen certainly by some people on the left and always has been that the Bolsheviks saw it this way as a form of oppression um, because families are, are, are families are unequal and, and, and all the rest of it. But there's the, I've always been puzzled and I'm still puzzled by how something as radical as the claims being made by the transgender movement, which whatever you think about it, you would have to accept these claims are incredibly radical. The notion that there are suddenly 72 genders, that a child can identify with the opposite one, that a, that there's such thing as a trans child, that if you find a trans child, then that child should be put on, on, on hormones, which prevent them from going through puberty, or perhaps even have surgery. It's astonishing that these things are being promoted by doctors, they're being promoted by teachers, they're being promoted by the media. And the question of how the hell has this happened 
is always on my mind. Um, I don't know, but what I think is more bro more broadly at the moment, what the whatever the left used to be, um, and at, at its best, the left used to be uh, a movement of people trying to promote the interests of the poor and the oppressed against those in power. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, it's become a kind of strange beast that's kind of merged with corporate capital and is now fighting a kind of cultural war against most people on all issues. Um, it's become a kind of strange movement of, of anti-populist, anti-popular middle-class people who, as you say, are uh, increasingly using phrases like disinformation, misinformation, fake news to attempt to silence anyone who disagrees with them, accusing anyone who doesn't like their particular worldview of being a fascist or a racist or any of the other familiar words. And it's been an astonishing thing. I've, I wrote another essay about this, the kind of merger of, of neoliberal capitalism with, with postmodern leftism and how that's become a kind of power center in itself that seems to be dominating the elites in the West. And as, as I say, the, the, the extent to which all of our institutions have been captured by this, this thing um, is is part of what is happening. And it's part of why this has been, this kind of rewriting of biology and, and culture has been rolled out so quickly. And I still haven't quite worked out why it's happened, but I think my best guess, and this is what all of this comes down to actually, is that it comes down to what you introduced this conversation as being about, which is this battle between what you could maybe call classical and postmodern worldviews. Um, we used to believe, I mean, let, let's go back to the history of the West. So what is the West? Why do we even talk about a thing called the West? Well, the West is the territory of the, the Roman church. That's why we talk about the West. It's, it's the Western Christian church, not the Eastern church, which is Orthodox, not the Islamic world, not any other part of the world, not, not China, not India. It's the territory of what used to be called Christendom. And Christendom is, uh, is an entire culture of nations in the West brought up to believe in in the teachings of of biblical christianity and again whatever you think of biblical christianity it sets out a very clear sense of what is right what is wrong what is true and what isn't true um what is real and what isn't real and there are very clear truth claims made by it um as there are by all religions and all, all classical ways of seeing um modernity has been a process of breaking all that apart and bringing everything down to the level of individual desire and individual definition so once you start to abolish all of that you start to abolish objective truth you say there is no god there is no uh, therefore there are no objective rules therefore there is nothing but individual desire therefore there is nothing but the individual right to define themselves as they want to define themselves because after all there's no truth then you get to where we are now very quickly because there's nothing to hold the center together there's no objective truth claim there's nothing higher there's no there's no there's no God, there's nothing else. Um, and so you start to dissolve into this sort of competing set of truth claims. And I think that when you add the Internet to that, and particularly when you add social media to that, you get a kind of digital craziness and it becomes almost impossible to actually defend reality because you haven't got a standard to defend it by. And everybody's making their own claim about it. And if I say I'm a dog and I've redefined the word dog, and you can't prove that I shouldn't have redefined the word that way, because who's to say what a dog is anyway? And if you define the word dog, you're oppressing me. So I've got my own definition of it. Then 
then we're into the we're down the rabbit hole and and it's impossible for anyone to set a standard and to say no that's not real this is what's real and that's i think the point that we've got to and i can't see it going anywhere but down any further at the moment unless people start to assert um a, a standard of objective truth certainly the the craziness we see on social media has amped this up quite a bit where you see people making the nemo claim making the gender is sex because they've perfectly reversed gender as saying gender is somatic gender is between your legs sex is between your ears that's one of their quotes and it's it's phenomenal it's sort of funny too some days i thought it was the other way around Right. Well, exactly. That's a new reversed. One. Okay. That was on you know, Twitter around 2015, 16. That's what they were pulling then. There were certain waves on Twitter. I've been doing this a long time, so mm. I've followed it all. But they've had to change their discourse because they come out directly against people who are either scientists or just conscious beings who say uh, sex is real. And then they try to do this thing where they'll cite one of two texts, one of which is Thomas Lecure's The Making of Sex. Wonderful book. But if you read the book, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't actually say that humans are not sexually dimorphic. He also goes through the historical exegesis of how sex was created through science and language and technology in the sense of being able to recognize it, not that science literally created it, but he was showing the relationship between the ways of viewing humans socially and medically and how the sexes came into being understood within medicine. Again, he did not make the claim that humans are not sexually dimorphic. And so you see these texts popping up and people it's almost like they took a graduate seminar and walked out and said, sex doesn't exist. And I know this because I come from academia and I have taught, don't kill me, I have taught queer theory. I was brought into NYU one semester just to do that. And somehow when I left that arena, because I was briefly in it, left it, and then it became this. And I thought, oh my God, what has happened? I go back to see, I read the newer texts on what is called queer theory. And there was a complete divergence from this kind of post-gay liberation theory to words are reality, reality is no more material, and we can do what we want now. We're free without mm. having addressed what enshackled us politically, historically, sexism, homophobia. The actual stuff of sexism and homophobia was recycled because I have to say, and I said this just last week on Twitter, I miss Thatcherism and Reaganism. At least then we were fighting homophobia, but they both knew what a woman and man was. They both knew that same-sex desire was actually a reality. Now we're being told, no, you can't just want to have sex with women. That's transphobic. I've never seen anything so homophobic in my life as what is happening now. And of course, more misogynist. Well, that's interesting. Um, maybe you can answer a question for me because I've been interested in this. I don't know very much about queer theory. I've read a few things. I've thought about it a bit. Um, but it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, you can tell me, um, that what's going on at the moment seems like the kind of application of queer theory to everything. Um, so the notion, I suppose, you know, traditionally is you have a center to your culture and the center is obviously heterosexual because most people are heterosexual and then around the edges you have people who are not 
and you have a spectrum of of people at different places on that um traditionally the people who are not heterosexual have been marginalized or oppressed in different ways in different places and so the modern struggle has been to liberate those people and to say you know we're as valid as anyone else and we want to be able to be ourselves that struggle has been won very clearly in the west um but it didn't stop at being won um and it seems to me that the that then queer theory as i understand it is, is almost rolled out across the institutions and what we seem to be going through now is an attempt to queer the center if there is a center which there probably isn't anymore to queer everything to question everything to turn everything into the margins that's how it seems to me and so in that sense you've got gay liberation happens and then gay marriage happens and then transgenderism comes onto the agenda almost immediately after that as if the, the whole thing is part of a rolling spectrum it was never going to stop at a particular point you know what i mean Oh, I totally do, because I was in the West Village in the 90s when, if some of our listeners might recall this, I think it happened in North America first, because I believe Vice is a Canadian company, but I started to notice these free signs near the toilets of Vice in the mid to late 90s. Earlier, there were magazines like HX, I'm sorry, I'm remembering very badly, perhaps, but there were these square free magazines about where you, you know, go to your gay barber, your gay lawyer, your gay swimming pool. I never really liked this. The gay community, and this speaks to liberation politics in general, I have to say, but the gay community created rights by fighting back. But there was never a moment in which we said as a, let's say, community, uh, okay, we've attained these rights, do we need to have all of these self-segregated spaces? This was a question I often raised because I was like, do I want to go to a, a gay barber, a gay pool, a gay everything? That can be boring. And we all, we know people by virtue of just standing at the same metro stop, bus stand, being in the queue at the grocery store. We meet people in all sorts of ways, aside from obviously personal and professional connections. When I said earlier that this speaks to the way we need to look at the way we politicize our oppression, I have a very good friend, Genevieve, who said to me once, the thing is, is that people are oppressed, but then when we can move outside of that oppression, we need to stop identifying with it. And I think this speaks to the human condition and the way that we just want to like wear that oppressed t-shirt all the time. We've let it become our identity, but we don't do any kind of full stop and rethink and maybe take off that t-shirt, that identity and move forward and understand that do I want to spend my life going to only lesbian bars and only going to lesbian bowling clubs? And and I say this as someone who is horrified by the current transgender movement and the homophobia that that has assailed upon us. What are the answers when at the end we have been lobbied into this? I believe the transgender movement was largely a financial choice by a lot of NGOs that wanted to stay living making money, salaries. A lot of these NGOs are just about making salaries for themselves, including the HRC in New York, uh, I'm sorry, in DC. And the way in which these lobbies become an end to themselves, it's never really about the ethos of the movement they're supporting. It's about them keeping jobs. And, and this is where I think charity commissions are necessary because in a way, Paul, all of this has made me think about the way we need to, as my friend Genevieve says, stop 
we need to maybe stop the way we fundraise for things that are complete nonsense. And maybe these charities have to close doors because they do give birth to these ideologies. We would not have this wave of girls getting double mastectomies across the world. And when I say girls, I mean young women too. And being 21, you know, is not a great age to make that choice. Your brain isn't fully developed. And we are seeing the mutilation of people, the sterilization of people, those hormone blockers result in limited reproductive uh, abilities in the future. There's no firm study on it, but it seems also from the studies that do exist, bone density lessens. These are serious repercussions. And then the brain development in sheeps, that was another study that came out. So we have serious issues with the, the science, quote unquote science, that has been assumed to be correct, putting that out there into teens and young adults, and no one is held responsible for this. Yet there's an industry of NGOs that tout it, HRCs, putting people in Hollywood, they're making sure scripts are written to include transgender people. You cannot watch a show today where in one episode or another, there'll be that person and you know you've been sold a product. So Paul, I mean, this is so serious to me because while the critics of this say it's queer theory, I think it's much more than that. I think there is something much more sinister afoot about capitalism, honestly. Yeah, and I think the two have merged. I mean, I think that there's a strange sort of queer capitalism around. I mean, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, next month is next month is Pride Month, right? Um, now I don't know where Pride Month came from. When I was young, there was a gay pride movement which gay people used to you know, used to run and push and create in order to make themselves visible and campaign for equality under the law, and that was that was a gay movement, right? Um, and maybe you'd support that if you weren't gay and say, yes, I agree with that. I'm on your side. That has morphed into an entire month in which everybody is pretty much expected to support um, a thing called pride, which is now about very much more than simply being gay. Um, and it's also, of course, it exists in a society in which gay rights have, have, have been introduced and have been settled. And you know, we have gay marriage and um, you know, being homophobic is a career-ending thing now. So, you know, that that battle has been won. And yet we have a month in which we have flags everywhere. We are expected to affirm radical gender ideologies as well as sort of gay lifestyles. Every corporation will go along with it. All the media will go along with it. Anyone who, who wants to retain their employment will go along with it. And I'm not, not even suggesting it's all it's all a bad thing and that you shouldn't go along with it inherently, but it's what it is is it's an obligation now it's a required obligation it's like a it's like a religious festival actually it's like a it's it's the kind of thing that would have happened in medieval europe except it would have been a christian festival then and everybody would have been expected to go along with that um and we've got to this point again in a very short period of time um and it's i don't quite know how it's happened um, there is something in what you just said about the uh, i don't know about the gay movement obviously but there's an activist mindset that exists Amongst all activists, I used to be a, a green activist and environmentalist. And if you have an activist mindset, nothing's ever settled. Once you win a battle, you have to move on to the next battle. Uh, but fundamentally, that mindset is about radically reshaping culture. Um, and the way I'm seeing this now is that, you know, you mentioned capitalism. So capitalism is the most revolutionary thing that's ever happened economically and maybe politically and culturally as well, because it, it just 
tears everything apart it rips everything up uh you you know marx's description of that was terrific i'm not a marxist and i never have been but marx's description of the in the communist manifesto of how capitalism rips up all the fixed frozen relations it's a great very poetic way of describing what it is capitalism is the most revolutionary thing that's ever happened um what's happened now seems to me is that a lot of the uh things that used to be liberation movements for minority groups whether it's uh you know whether it's racial groups or ethnic minorities or sexual minorities have somehow merged with with capitalism this is what we call woke capitalism we have these these woke corporations everywhere as you've just mentioned it's impossible to watch a, a disney film without getting it in your face um but it's not just about transgenderism it's about the the wider sort of movement of breaking down everything that used to be a norm and and, and coming back to that notion that we used to be a certain type of society based on a certain worldview a certain religion and that came with a certain set of values and it seems to me that both the radical left and the the market economy benefit from the destruction of any norm that might prevent us from uh commercializing our desire to break through all limits and so there's a strange merger maybe it's not strange at all between a sort of leftist ideology that wants to destroy all boundaries because it sees all limits as oppression and capitalism which obviously wants to monetize everything and doesn't want any limits to its spread and so those two things have kind of merged and you have this increasingly totalitarian hyper capitalist um movement of destroying all of what was previously considered to be a norm and it's it's taken over the culture very quickly in the west because we have no real center to refer to anymore there isn't a kind of shared reality that people can point to and say well I believe in this instead and so we've got to this point in which there's almost a vortex that has been created that a lot of people are stepping into and trying to trying to take advantage of whether they're uh, you know, marketing executives or political activists or whatever there's there's a there's an ongoing redefinition of everything that was previously seen to be steady and the strange thing is the activists will themselves claim things that go contrary to science but then when you say well sex is a reality they call you a genital inspector <laughs> it's another phrase i haven't heard before. oh you you've got to be well right. you, you're clear thank god i'm not on social media exactly right. you missed that that's why yeah exactly it's crazy but they will have spent the previous 30 minutes saying but I'm not a man. And then you say, what does that mean then? Because you're saying you're not something that you say doesn't exist. How can you say sex doesn't exist when you say you're not the sex that you claim doesn't exist? And what are you transitioning from if you claim sex doesn't exist? That That's yes, a completely elliptical argument I've ever heard. Hmm. And you'll see loads of people having these discussions, discussions I had eight years ago. I gave up. It has made me very worried because you touched upon it earlier, and many feminists have said this as well. This is about trying to destroy the family. Now, we are seeing a lot of these activists say that parents are dangerous, they can be harmful if they don't affirm their child's identity. It's all very odd because you're, you're seeing this kind of rollout of the new future where drag queen story hour is where we're heading. And when I say that, I'm not a prude. I have loads of friends who are drag queens. Great, 
my friends who are drag queens know they're drag queens. This is the difference, you know, back in the 90s, Lady Bunny, she did wig stock, you know, when we said she, we were like, ha ha, it was never, we really never thought she, you know, was a, a woman. And nobody thinks Lady Bunny's a woman. This is the problem is that even the very adherence to this ideology will never run up to any of these people who call themselves trans women in air quotes and say, oh my God, I left it at home. Do you have a Tampax? Of course not. Although the Dylan Mulvaney nonsense recently sort of put a shocker to that one because he has- Yeah, he seems to carry them around with him, doesn't he? So. Yes, and the fetish of this isn't new. It was definitely not born with him. There's a website that I found out when I was researching my first piece on this in 2012 and 13, which gives all kinds of advice as to how to be, walk, talk, dress more woman. To women, this is absurd, of course, because one of my friends who was a drag queen said the best test for any drag queen is to be able to pull off a pantsuit. Well, I can understand what he meant in the sense that what we're seeing are these really hyperbolic Rock Hudson era type films. Mulvaney is there doing this faux Audrey Hepburn lookalike, but not at all. And this is the problem where we get back to this division between those who adhere to reality or not, if we can see that Dylan is a man, we are now guilty of some kind of high crime in the religious orthodoxy that has been set up by this movement. So it boggles my mind how perfectly intelligent people, you can be standing in the checkout line with them, talking about a subject that is not related to this, but then you find out if you ever say something, oh, those, that gender identity movement is crazy and you will get your head sliced off, metaphorically speaking, because someone will say, and I had a good friend of mine say this, my son's teacher is transgender mm. block. 25 year friendship ended over mm. Facebook because I pointed out that his men's health calendar person, that he was applauding this woman who had taken loads of testosterone, sort of passed in a photo, but might not have if she was five foot two and he was like, how brave of him and i'm like that's not a man and you can't have discussions like this we're back to copernicus and galileo it's odd paul because this has permeated the schools also in ireland i'm sure you know oh yeah absolutely well so here's the thing again let's um i come back to well let's think um you talked about the abolition of the family um, and we talked about that earlier. This is not a new thing. Um, when when the Russian Revolution happened, one of the things I attempted to do in Russia with hideous consequences was exactly that. They tried to collectivize the family um, because the family was bourgeois and the family was, and it is, inherently unequal. Some parents are better than others. Some children are smarter than others. Some people have more luck than others. Some people have more money than others. That's always true. Um, and you know that's how it goes and so therefore some people are going to have better childhoods than others and that's just a thing um that happens in the world and the the bolshevik mentality was well it shouldn't be a thing children should have equal upbringing so that they all have uh, an equal chance in the world and it's one of these kind of leftist ideas that on the surface sounds fair right a lot of them do so well, well of course we want everyone to have an equal chance in the world it isn't right that some people might have a uh, a, a poorer childhood or a more oppressed childhood or abusive parents we don't want that so the 
the, the Bolshevik answer was effectively to abolish the family, to try to collectivize the family, just as they did with land and industry. And it had a predictably disastrous effects. It didn't last very long, actually. They went back on it after a few years. The French Revolution tried something similar. So it's it's all part of the, the sort of modern egalitarian project that comes along with modernity, where we decide that everything should be the same as everything else. And when it comes to, 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 to sort of gender, it again, it's what we're talking about. And this is why I see what's going on with transgenderism is in a wider context. It's the notion that any limit at all is a form of oppression and any border is a form of oppression. And therefore, any expression of nature is a form of oppression because it's going to lead to difference. So if I say I feel like a woman, whatever that would even quite mean, and you say to me, well, you can't be a woman because you're a man then that's a limit on me. And that's therefore oppressive. Well, why shouldn't I be a woman, I say to myself. And given that we no longer accept that there's there's a God, we don't even accept that there's science anymore, really. We don't accept, as you say, increasingly people won't even accept sexual dimorphism, which is really to fly in the face of reality, um, which, by the way, is a sign that this movement won't last because you can't deny reality forever. Um, but, you know, we're at the point where we are saying that biology is a form of oppressive limitation. Um, you mentioned Martin Rothblatt earlier. Martin Rothblatt is somebody I wrote about in the essay you talked about. He or she, depending on what you want to call him, is a man who became a woman. He's also a transhumanist. Uh, he's created a new religion called uh, Terrasem, which is a kind of transgender slash transhumanist religion, which effectively attempts to, in his own words, create God, because that's what he thinks he's doing. Um, and all of this is about the denial of limits and the denial of biology and the denial of nature and that is certainly a highly profitable capitalist enterprise because if we can dissolve all of the limits and the boundaries if we can dissolve the family dissolve men dissolve women dissolve biology dissolve culture dissolve nations dissolve anything that that has borders around it by representing all borders and all natural limits as a form of oppression then hey presto everything is marketable everybody gets to choose their own reality and then buy it um, everybody gets to live forever. And this is, to my, to my mind, the creation of uh, a new religion. I really do think that what we're doing is we're creating a new religion to replace the old one, which in the West was Christianity. And we're saying we're the gods now. I say it's a new religion. Actually, if you look at the Christian story, it's it's what happened in the Garden of Eden, where we decided to to become gods ourselves and follow the snake instead of following God. It's a very, very old story in that way. But we have decided that any form of natural limitation is a form of oppression, and we should be able to break through that with the help of radical politics and monetized capitalism and technology. And that, to my mind, is where transgenderism fits. It's a, it's a, it's a way of levering that way of seeing into the culture, because if we can persuade people that if a man says he's a woman, he is one, and it's a prosecutable offense for you to say that he isn't, and we're at that point in, in some places already, then all bets are off because any form of reality, natural biological reality can be denied and people can be frightened into going along with it. And, and that's the disturbing thing that the form of, of very, as you say, the form of, of bullying that goes along with this, that simply pointing to a man in, in like Dylan Mulvaney and saying, well, look, that's a man will get you ostracized from society. Uh, and like you, you know, I, I, I was talking to another gay man about this recently. You know, there's always been transsexuals around men who like to dress as women. Well, good luck to them. But once you put them in the library and get them teaching your children 
that the children can be like that too. And that if these men say they're women, they're literally women. I mean, here's a guy with a hairy chest and a dress, but he says he's a woman. So your five-year-old must learn that. Then you're in very different territory. You know, that's a very different thing. That's a deliberate attempt to deny reality for ideological reasons. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. It's insane the proportions to which this has gone because it started off when we were kids. There would be every so often, very rarely, someone, a man in a dress usually, and people would go their merry way and just either, depending on their humor, avoid that person, be very sweet to that person, depending on the individual. There was no movement. There was no prescribed language, no prescribed thinking. Today, it's rather odd that we are now having to defend private spaces, women able to go to prison without a man in her prison cell, things that are just a given or have been a given for the better part of several hundred years. But here we are having to argue that water is wet. It's a very strange predicament, Paul, because I have days where I mean, I'm, I'm being very good with you right now and not cursing, but sometimes this topic will get me really yes. angry because I can imagine it's insane. And just to see anyone say, but I feel like a woman or what about my son's teacher? She feels like a woman. And I always say, I'm a woman. I've given birth to three children. I don't know what feeling like a woman is because I don't really think and I'm quite certain that science agrees with me that being a woman is at all a feeling. And if we can't have rational debates about this, and I am a far leftist, but oh my God, how can anyone, I'm sure you've seen Novara Media, all those folks, they are, I'm a Marxist, damn it, but they can't argue themselves out of a material reality box. They don't know what historical materialism is. They're not even leftists. They're not even Marxists. These are neoliberals. And this is where I think a lot of our problems emerge is how it's interesting to see what Blair did to the country and what Clintonism also did to the United States and the way in which neoliberalism, that drip, 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 led to this absent left where you have great minds like Adolf Reed being deplatformed from the DSA two years ago. There is no room for critical thought even amongst that former left. The left is left. There's nothing. It's disturbing for me as a leftist as well because I find myself just completely like on an island by myself some days. I mean, I know there are people out there. I speak to them on social media, but it's <sighs> slim pickings because a lot of former leftists have jumped ship to neoliberalism. And my thinking is that neoliberalism has zero to do with the left. If anything, I think it has a lot more to do with the far right. There's a lot of crossovers here too, Paul, if you recall the 1980s. Remember Jesse Helms talking about Robert Mapplethorpe's photographs and the black buttocks and the horror, the horror of the reality behind Mapplethorpe's photos was what singed the heart of the Christian far right. Today, all you have to do to outrage people is to say penis is not female and they freak out and you'll be called names. You will lose your job. There was a presentation which became a demonstration 
at the Jam Jar in Bristol back in, I want to say 2018 or 19. The man who organized this, lovely guy I was in touch with, he lost his housing because he organized this and had women speak who said, no, <laughs> women is not a costume, women is not a feeling. So people of all sorts, even heterosexual men, are getting the boot when they support reason. It feels really crazy, you know, Paul? Like, I think back to times in history, and I'm thinking, especially during COVID, I kept thinking about the medieval period, and I thought, well, is this where we are? Are we in this kind of neo-medievalism where now we've got the science being spoken to us from Fauci, even though we all have elected governments that seem to defer to Fauci, and the science about the female penis, all of this in air quotes. Well, I, I mean, I'm generally a fan of the Middle Ages in many ways. So I mean, the, thing, the, thing about the, the thing about the Middle Ages is, again, you had a center, you had a, let's take medieval England, you had a, you had a belief system, and you had a, a social system, you had all sorts of problems and inequalities and the rest of it. So, um, you know, that's that's that that was a particular time in history um it's not as if you have to emulate it today but the, the middle ages was a time when there was a, a strong sense of the cosmic reality of the world strong sense of god a strong sense of truth a strong sense of right and wrong now you can disagree with that worldview if you like but it was there there was a sense of a center there isn't any center now um there's nothing left at all except the endless destruction and deconstruction of reality and because we have no agreement on what reality even is um we haven't got anywhere to go and so you know religion died or was killed off at least in the mainstream and that was supposed to be replaced by science the scientific method was supposed to be a better way of understanding reality than religion uh, and it wasn't really because it couldn't answer the big questions but even even so science can show us how material reality works to a degree but now, of course, even science is challenged, as you say yourself. Um, science is said to be, a, I believe, a tool of white supremacy now. Um, and, and therefore, you know, it literally is 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 a problem as well. And and because we have a keep coming back to the same, because keep coming back to the same thing, we have no cosmic understanding of what truth is. There's no reason not to break anything down. Um, it's very interesting, as you say, what's happened to the left. Um, 20 years ago, when I wrote my first book, I was a young leftist, anti-globalist activist wrote a whole book about anti-capitalist movements around the world. Um, I think the things that I argued in that book then, which were the things that the left was arguing and doing at the time, would probably be characterized as far right now. Um, 20 years ago, it was the left that was complaining about the World Economic Forum, for example. Um, they, they were the only ones who'd noticed it. It was the left campaigning against globalization. It was the left trying to shut down the meetings of the G8 and the WTO and the IMF. Um, certainly the right was nowhere to be seen. They were all, they were all in support of that. Um, today, to complain about corporate globalization is to, is to invite suspicion of being a fascist, astonishingly. Um, it's, it's quite something that the, that the left has, has allied itself with, as you say, neoliberalism. Uh, I would see, uh, speaking as a 50-year-old as a man now, as a Generation X guy, I would see a younger generation of kids brought up on the internet, brought up on social media, who can't even really distinguish between um, the mediated and the real, can't distinguish between capitalism and non-capitalism. They haven't grown up in a culture when there was any alternative to things being marketed, things being corporate, things being commercialized. And so something like, you know, you mentioned Navarra Media. It's a, it's, a, it's a very globalized, very capitalist, very neoliberal sort of organization using token left-wing language. Um, 
but they don't really there's a whole generation that doesn't have any experience of living in a, in a culture with a center living in a culture where there is a left and a right or even understanding that there's anything outside the digital and the commercial and i do think that the role of the internet and especially social media can't be underestimated in the, in the kind of the gender confusion moment and just the general moment of breakdown because it's it's enabled uh, a, a kind of reality collapse and that's about to accelerate very fast with the emergence of ai because we're not going to be able to tell within a few months of now whether something we see on the internet is written by a person or a program whether a film we watch is a deep fake whether a photo we watch has been manipulated um, whether a voice we hear is created by an ai an ai system only needs to hear three seconds of a human voice yours or mine to create a perfect version of it so you could easily set this podcast set an AI on this podcast and get a version of you saying anything it wants you to say. Um, so we're going to go into an even deeper reality collapse now where we're, it, it's not going to be possible to even know what reality is. This is, this is the way humanity goes mad. Basically, <laughs> this is the way modernity drives us mad. This is where we're going. Absolutely. I saw this when I was filming at LSX at St. Paul, where the tents were for many months. Remember when I was there, I was interviewing people who I thought were leftists. Okay. But what came out of their mouths in their protest of the Wall Street in New York, but there in London, was this, this is what I heard. Well, one day we're going to be all able to stay at home and computers will do our work and we can play video games all day, said one guy to me. And I looked <laughs> at him and I said, um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my day playing video games. And a lot of people actually love their jobs they derive a lot of pleasure and fulfillment from their jobs he, he couldn't answer that one and i just thought interviewing many of these people over months that this movement was devoid of any leftism it was all about rhetoric but no substance if you follow me in the same way when you spoke about rothblatt i had followed him years ago because of his crazy robot based on his wife looks just like her it's really hmm. weird You've seen it, right? The Bina? No, Four I Raiders. haven't seen that actually, no. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's the Bina 48 and it was a robot he designed to interact with the world just like the original. <laughs> wow. Who needs a wife when you can build your own, right? Well, exactly, but this also recuperates a lot of the fem ironically rothblatt is making the very arguments that his nemesis, the feminists are making because we're not replicants, you know, and I, I think back to Blade Runner as well. The ethos of that film was the value of the real and who can, in fact, recognize what the real is, because we find at the very last scene who is mm. and who isn't real. Mm. And so in your series, and when I introduced you to the show, I mentioned your series, The Abbey of Misrule. And your writing does address this problem even outside the limits of gender identity and i'm wondering too in terms of what mary shelley was thinking or the romantics all around her when they were also coming up against the artifice of the world or the various types of artifice that were presenting themselves in the world but these were very different times even the industrial revolution we were at least able to touch and interact and be killed by these machines that were lifting out the ore from mines or lifting out the coal, etc. 
today, all of the technologization, which is erasing our reality, and I'm thinking to this wonderful essay by Avital Ranel, where she talks about how the first Gulf War was all about video games. Killing became disembodied. Mm. Yes, there was I no that. more. Yeah. Yes, there was no more the bayonet or the actual firing and seeing your opponent fall. We have done a huge violence to ourselves in many respects by turning, killing these wars. The fact that big tech and big media, legacy media and the Democratic Party repressed the Biden laptop story. So there's very good reason to even believe as per the January 6th protesters who were never covered by the media, that that was a type of technological coup d'etat which I'm more of that thinking. And people say to me, but you're a leftist, you support Trump. Trump was a gift to the left because they could bang on about him when Russiagate got old, both silly arguments because they're based on these either lack of facts or someone's dislike for a man who isn't perfect in any way, who's physically not appealing. And they can just beat about that. But here we are, Bina 48, and the January 6th debacle, we have people in the United States now in prison for four years who did nothing more than, they did break and enter, sure, but they took selfies. And that was posited hmm. as an insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection, Paul. No, well, I mean, Trump, the Trump moment is very interesting. We're talking about populism. I mean, in, you know, I come from Britain, so we had Brexit same year, which I voted for. Um, and the result of it was much the same, actually. Um, what happened with Brexit was it wasn't supposed to happen. The people were accidentally given a vote on, some, on something significant and they chose to vote against the status quo for a lot of different reasons. And what happened then was the status quo, the entire establishment spent two years desperately trying to overturn that vote using every legal and parliamentary and, and media uh, argument that they could. We saw um, so-called liberal left philosophers writing in the newspapers about the the problematic nature of democracy and how people shouldn't be allowed to vote and all the rest of it over in the United States. You had Trump elected. Trump was interesting because he was elected on a, on a anti-globalist platform. Um, and that was absolutely not supposed to happen. The guys, in, the, the, the president of the United States is supposed to maintain the global American empire and the global American empire is a neoliberal empire. It's an empire of, uh, of, of free trade. So when you have a guy elected to the American presidency, again, something that wasn't supposed to happen, they thought they had it in hand. Clinton was going to keep the ball rolling. But along comes Trump and he argues against mass immigration and he argues against offshoring industry and he argues against global trade. And he also argues as, as, as against pointless, endless foreign wars. The only American president in my lifetime, I think, who hasn't started a war, which is something to be something to be grateful for. So I, from a foreigner's point of view, Trump was pretty good, actually. <laughs> and I watched what happened to him. And, you know, I'm not a Trump fan. I don't share Donald Trump's values at all. Um, but what he stood on was a perfectly reasonable platform. And then I saw the way that he was attacked and I thought, this is nothing to do with anything he said. The way that he's being, the media is systematically twisting what he said to make him look like a Nazi, a white supremacist, this, that, and the other. And then, then you had the whole Russiagate thing, which turned out to be a setup of the Democrats. And I thought this man is being punished because he's gone against, um, he's gone against the maintenance of the neoliberal empire. And he, he he had to be removed, and then he was removed. Um, and the, a very clear lesson was sent that you don't muck around with this. Similar thing happened in Britain with Brexit, actually. Brexit happened, but uh, the status quo has, has largely been maintained. The people didn't get what they actually wanted, which was quite a different country. Um, and, and it's, you know, this is 
this is uh, it's a bit tangential but the 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 global empire of neoliberal capital is entirely tied up with the kind of corporation that is pushing this this uh, technologized reality collapse on us um and it, again it comes down to the destruction of borders and limits you have to destroy nations as well by the way you have to destroy national borders you have to open those borders to trade and 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 labor and capital you have to remove effectively the powers of governments as in, in the same way that you remove people's freedom of speech if you want this global system of of uh, of neoliberal capital to be able to continue to expand and the reality collapse i think is part of the technology that comes with that because as, as we said earlier the expansion of capitalism is the expansion of the most revolutionary system that's ever existed and it will destroy everything that went before it from religions to local cultures to national borders to the definition of men and women apparently everything everything can go everything can be shattered and and broken into small pieces and then monetized and sold back to you that's where we are that's what a lot of people don't see is how this is about monetization and recycling their own thoughts that they haven't even constructed for themselves this is really horrifying when you have a bunch of people thinking how free they are like my friend in new york city who defriended me because his sons teach i mean when you think about it you ended a friendship because your son's teacher says he's something that he's not it's crazy like it makes the medieval period look sane by comparison and again i think the reason the reason that's happened is that this uh, radical reshaping of reality in all areas has successfully been tied up with uh, a, a, the kind of the central narrative of the modern West, which is the liberation from oppression. And, and most people support the liberation from oppression, right? We think that anti-racism is a good thing. We think that gay people shouldn't be arrested for being gay, etc. I mean, I certainly think those things, I'm sure you do too. So that's the kind of the narrative of the modern West is, you know, people should not be oppressed for being who they are. And so the transgender movement and more broadly, some of the radical stuff that's going on now has been formulated in those terms. So the person who defriended you presumably thought you you were the equivalent of a, of a terrible racist, you know. And so they said, oh, I don't want to associate with that person. They're just a bigot. And you see the word bigotry and you see the word hatred particularly used relentlessly uh, to, to towards anybody who objects to this radical ideology and this radical reshaping of reality. So if you don't accept that a man can become a woman by saying he feels like one. It's because you're motivated by hatred and bigotry and people like you shouldn't be allowed to express yourselves because that's literally, and, and, and because we now apparently accept that words are a form of violence, then we have a perfect storm whereby you are expressing your opinion that biology is real, makes you a violent danger to, to people's health, to the, the, the health of an oppressed minority. And therefore it can be justified to go so far as even arresting you. That's that's the point we've got to. Yes, and the uh, argument about Hitlerium is quite frequent, where feminists are compared to Nazis. It's mm. very frequent all the time. I see. It, I saw it yesterday. Now Hitler has become this go-to. My saying that you don't have a vagina, death camps, gas chambers. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> and there's yes. there's no intellectual core to this movement. I agree with you. It's not going to last. But what frightens me is the kind of backtracking that's been allowed to happen, such as I mentioned earlier, the 2020 essay I wrote about the scrubbing of public memory by the NHS and the BBC. Now, the BBC has lately been more balanced in its coverage, but it wasn't for many years. 
it's very strange how we assign meaning to reality based on an interior feeling of preferences, which you and I both know change throughout our lives. Until the age of 30, you couldn't shoehorn me into a dress. I'm wearing one as I speak to you right now. Don't ask me how it happened. And kudos to any man who wants to run around in a dress, great. But don't expect me to say you look fetching as a woman in your dress. Hmm? No, most of them don't look very fetching, do they? No. <laughs> Again, you know, this comes back to um, the, well, the, the central claim of the theology of modernity, I think. The theology of progress and modernity is the individual is king. Um, and this great rebellion against all structures and against all traditions and against all religions and against all authorities, which really began in the 18th century, I suppose, has taken us to the point now where there is no legitimate authority except the self. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. Now, funnily enough, that's I mean, this is something the left has been pushing for a long time. So the left bears responsibility for this, because if you decide you're going to destroy absolutely everything that holds society together and say all of us should be able to choose what we want to do um then as i say you can you can see that's a, a leftist notion but you can also see that's a notion that, that that chimes very very nicely with consumer capitalism because of course if you can choose your own identity then it can be constructed and sold to you so you have that merger again between you know, kind of leftist individualism and hyper capitalism but we've got to the point where there is no legitimate authority in a Western country other than the self. And therefore, the self gets to define reality. <laughs> and if you look at it that way, then transgenderism is logical. It's a, it's a logical outgrowth of that. Because if I say I want to be a woman, who's to say I'm not? Who decides what a woman is anyway? Because we can redefine words now. We can, we can rewrite the dictionary and we do it almost every day. Um, we can redefine words, we can redefine terms, we can rewrite history, we can decide uh, that, that your opinion that was regarded as normal five years ago is now hate speech. Um, the very notion of hate speech is another sinister Orwellian thing. Um, and there we are, and we that's the reality collapse again. So if we are defining reality as anything we feel like it being, then we will never be able to actually relate to the world on its own terms. And the only way out of that is to come to a shared understanding of what reality is. We used to have one. We need to have one again. Uh, that's going to be the big argument. As I say, I think the optimistic um, optimistic outcome of this conversation is that the, the new ideology of which gender ideology is a part, it can't last because it's a denial of reality. If you're having to deny sexual dimorphism in the human species and back that up with ludicrous laws on so-called hate speech and claims that uh, speech is violence and the rest of it that's not a stable thing and that's not going to last because it isn't real you know you're pretending something is real which isn't and there's only so long you can do that because reality bats last so we're going to have to come back to a shared understanding of what reality is yes and what our priorities are as humans because i remember in 2008, when that election took place in the run up to it in 2007, Obama was doing this thing where he had focus groups on Skype and I joined it. I was interested to see who this person was and what he stood for. Long story short, Paul, is I had discussions with other people in New York talking about 
Obama, and they were saying how they wanted to vote for him because he was going to push through same-sex marriage. And I said, I didn't want to vote for him because it was clear he was going to be another war hawk. And they said, but what about same-sex marriage? And I said, well, let me put it to you this way. My right to get married to another woman is way down there below Libyans and Hondurans and name the country where Clinton and Obama did great destruction. Uh, Pakistan, he expanded the drone war. I said, I just think we have to have a line where we understand what rights are more important because as someone who's lived and taught around the world, the people who pay the price for our president, it's not us, it's the rest mm, of the world. Certainly, yes. And even this month, we've got Freedom of the Press Month, ostensibly, but you barely see Julian Assange's name mentioned at the White House Press Dinner, which is an annual event that looks more like the Met Gala. You have nobody talking about Assange at these events, wherever they are. And they happen in many cities. They happen across many press organizations. He's rotting in Belmarsh, and he's guilty of exposing US war crimes. None of this makes sense, Paul. Yet people are happy that he's safely in prison, protecting what exactly? And look at legacy media's coverage of this. We wouldn't have. I've made this argument many times, the, the Tavistock travesty happened because corporate media allowed it to happen. There was no investigative journalism like the Boston Globe on the pedophilia within the Catholic Church. Now we've seen one corporate media outlet after another just pushing the notion that your child can be born in the wrong body. I mean, again, medieval. I'm born in, are you born in the wrong body, Paul? <laughs> well, not as far as I'm aware. That's uh, oh, quite what that would mean. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's a, it's a reality collapse moment. So, um, yeah, I think that um, the challenge now is to come back to a shared understanding of humanity. I think that the digital digital tech is the thing that makes that very very difficult. The more the more you live online, the harder it is for you to detect what what reality actually is. Do you think we'll be facing a future progressive movement of luddites? <laughs> I can't use my bank without a mobile phone. That's a mm. smartphone. And this troubles me. Yeah, and I think in answer to your question, there is <clears throat> there is a Luddite movement developing already. You can see it um, amongst some young people. It's something I've been writing about a lot, um, how to limit your use of technology, how to survive without it, how to sort of return yourself to reality, return yourself to the reality of nature and the human body and um, the community around you, um, rather than having your brains addled and scrambled by this machinery and i think that's um that's one way actually that you come back to a shared understanding of reality is just by getting yourself the hell away from these things as much as you can how do we get around being able to live and pay bills if the system requires that we own these machines and is there not a law that protects our right to not partake in that well there isn't but there should be there definitely should be. Well, what do you see as some other remedies aside from desisting from technology? Are there other aspects of this that might be linked to things that are not at all technological? Well, I mean, look, I I think, as I said before, that this is um this is fundamentally a, a, a religious issue. I think every culture has a religion. Every culture has a god. And if you if you don't believe in an actual god, you're going to start worshipping yourself, or you're going to start worshipping technology, or you're going to start attempting to create the world. So I think this is fundamentally an issue of what your 
what your culture's religion, what your religion is, what you see as the reality of the universe? Do you simply see it as a uh, a kind of mess of atoms in which we can all define our reality or do you think there's a there's a higher purpose do you think there's a god do you think there's a a transcendent cosmic reality that's bigger than yourself that that's the question humans have been asking since they were humans and they've come up with a lot of different answers to it um the answer that we've come up with is that there's nothing but us and we're going to create our own reality i don't think that's true so i think this is almost a it's a theological question what's what's the truth um, what is objective reality and how are we going to live by it? And once you make your decision about what you think it is, you have to live with that. But I do think, you know, personally, the more time we can spend in community, the more time we can spend in nature, the more time we can spend in our bodies and the more time we can spend talking to each other, because also a lot of this kind of hatred and insanity goes on on the Internet. It's much easier to hate somebody, to cancel somebody, to be violently, aggressively nasty to somebody on the Internet than it is in reality. Um, people wouldn't talk to each other in reality the way they talk to each other on twitter um you know this this stuff has kind of addled our brains and turned us into it, it brings out the worst in us i used to have a twitter account many years ago and i got rid of it for a number of reasons but one of them was that i could see that it was making me into a kind of person i didn't want to be um you know it brings out that side of you and it creates these divisions so the the, the sooner we get off this stuff the better and the more that we can uh, make our decision about what reality is and then start cleaving ourselves to it rather than believing we can create it ourselves the better i think that you know the west in general is just going a bit mad at the moment um, because of our refusal to accept reality and because of our obsession with technology and so we have to we have to back down from that and and come to that understanding again it's a spiritual question and it's a practical question as well about engaging with other people at a community level instead of engaging in this kind of insane partisan stuff that's pushed on us all day on, online.